Let's pray. Father, we want so much for our faith in your promises to grow because of our time together. So that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift. Being able to see promises, understand them, believe them, take heart from them and walk in freedom is a gift. And we ask you to come and give those gifts now. In Jesus' name, amen. I am old. All right, 77. And I need to join you in the fight against the fears of aging by faith in future grace. Just a word. I'm gonna, I've got nine fears. We'll walk through them and I'll give you biblical antidotes for your fear. Those antidotes will work through faith. Without faith, they won't work. But by faith, they'll work. And fear will be overcome. And we will all go to be with Jesus in due time without walking through fear in our last season. That's my hope. So a word about future grace. Um, I picture the Christian life as uh, a stream of divine grace flowing to me. Flowing to me from the future like this. And I'm walking into it. It flows over the waterfall of the present into a reservoir. The reservoir is getting bigger and bigger, which means our thankfulness, as we look back, should be getting bigger and bigger, right? As grace comes to us, it flows over the waterfall of the present. It accumulates in a a reservoir that forever and ever will get bigger. We'll never stop getting grace from God. Because we will never be deserving for eternity of what good comes to us. Read Ephesians 2, 7. It's one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. So, what's the disposition of the heart that relates to the future stream and the disposition of the heart that relates to the past reservoir? And the answer is gratitude as we look back, faith as we look forward. I'm calling it faith in future grace. And by that, I mean future for the next five minutes, or let's just say an hour to finish this. Will will God sustain me or will I not be sustained for this hour? I am trusting grace to arrive moment by moment as sustaining power from God, free, gracious. And you're going to sit there being held in being and sustained by grace. It's just coming to you moment by moment. And we're called to trust it, him. Okay, so that's what I mean by future grace and faith in it. So my goal in faith is, is fourfold. If, if I succeed by the power of the Holy Spirit in these next few minutes, four things are going to happen in your life. Um, underneath growth and strengthening of faith in promises, there's going to be a joy welling up in your heart. The joy of faith, it's called. Because if you trust God to take care of you, you're happier than if you don't trust him. So joy will happen. Second, God is glorified by that joy in him. But it's invisible glory. Because joy is in your heart. It might come out. That's number three. But before it comes out, your joy is in here. God can see it. And he's honored by it when you are believing his promises and feel joy. He looks at it, smiles and says, I'm made big by that joy. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him is the watchword of my life. Third, If you have that joy and he gets that glory, you're going to be set free to think about other people, not just your poor aging self. That's the great outward need of people our age, right? We just so, we get together and all we talk about is how we hurt. (laughs) My eyes aren't right. My ears aren't right. My joints aren't right. My digestion's not right. Nothing's right. And we talk about, I just, I want you to be freed 
Just serve. Wherever you live, you're going you're gonna to wind up living in a, in a senior thing probably. Well, they're just needy people everywhere. And you're just maybe a little bit ahead of them. And you've got something good to do. You can do good to them. So that would be number three, to free you, to not be self-preoccupied, but serving. And the fourth one would be God gets public glory from that. That's visible. Let your good works shine and God will get glory from your being freed from selfishness and into the lives of other people. And it doesn't have to be any paid thing. Like Steve, uh, Keith's here not going to get paid anymore. I assume you've been paid. But <laughs> he's not going to get paid anymore, but he can still do good. I'm expecting you to do good. Because <laughs> I don't have any responsibilities here to make you do good. Or myself. All right. So those are my four <laughs> goals through increased faith. So here we go. Number one, fighting the fear of aging in general. I mean, all the other eight of these are specifics. This one's general. Bell, which is a Babylonian God bows down. Nebo stoops, another Babylonian God. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So get the picture. You must sustain other gods. That's what they demand of you. You're a slave. You serve me. I need your help. Take my cart and my idol wherever I tell you. That's not good news. Most religions of the world operate on that principle. Not Christianity or Judaism, rightly understood. Listen to me. Listen to me. O house of Jacob, O Bethlehem, senior sojourners, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me. We're not carrying. We're being carried. Born by me from before your birth. You'd believe that? Yeah. 77 years ago, John Piper was carried by God out of Ruth Piper's womb. He's been carrying me ever since. There is no way I could live without the everlasting arms. Yeah. Carried from the womb even to your old age. There it is. I am he. To gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made. I will bear. I will carry and will save. I mean, he wants you to get the point. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry you. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. Faith feels that. Just this verse. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So now your, your outward sufficiency is getting smaller, right? You're weakening. Your body is weakening. Your eyes are weakening. Your ears are weakening. Your memory is weakening. Everything is wasting away. That's what it means in this age to die. We all will die if Jesus doesn't come, to which we say, come Lord Jesus. But this promise, I believe, says every good work that you are expected to do by God, you will have the resources to do it. The mental resources, the physical resources, the affectional resources, the financial resources. If you don't have the resources to do it, he doesn't expect you to do it. Now, they're God-given resources. This is not autonomy. This is not me contributing to God. He supplies everything. But don't, don't feel like, God, I, can hold, I can't do what I used to do. Don't feel like God's going to say, well, you should do what you used to do. He won't. He won't say that. 
He'll just say, do what you can do. Amen. Do what you can do. And you'll have the resources for it. So you don't need to be afraid. He will carry you and the grace will be there for what you need to do. Number two, fighting the fear of difficult decisions. Like, I wrote down a few, where to live. Most people as they age got to make choices about, can I stay in the house? Where to live? What to do? Like Keith's got some options in front of him now. You do too. What shall I do with my time? I can't do much, but what can I do? There's three or four different things I could do. What should I do? Um, how do I relate to my kids? My grandkids, they don't even want me around, maybe. They don't like me. They believe I go to a cult called Bethlehem. I mean, we laugh. It's not, it's not funny for those of us who, who have to deal with, with grandkids who can barely stand us. So how do you relate? Like no else, so we sit in our chair and we say, should we text? Should we write? Should we invite? Should we email? Should we call? What should we do? What does love do? So that's the kind of thing, I mean, tough decisions, tough decisions. So a few glorious things. Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Or Psalm 25, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners. Isn't that good news? Because none of us qualify. If I had to be a non-sinner in order to get instruction, oh, there would be no hope for instruction. And so I get this glorious promise. I instruct sinners. <laughs> oh, forgiveness comes and then instruction comes in the way. He leads the humble. That's important. You get your back up at God and start finding fault with God. This is not a good prospect for instruction in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. Now you wonder, what, what's with Mephibosheth, right? 2 Samuel 19. When I was a pastor, I faced so many decisions that had to be made and I didn't know the best thing. What do you do? David the king said to Mephibosheth, why speak any more of your affairs? I've decided you and Ziba divide the land. Now here's the situation. Ziba lied about Mephibosheth, right? Peter comes, uh, David comes back from his being driven out by Absalom out of the city. He's victory now with Joab. And he comes back and Mephibosheth hasn't shaved, he hasn't washed. And, and he approaches David and David said, why didn't you go with me? Ziba had lied about Mephibosheth and said, he's not on your side. He's on the side of uh, uh, your son Absalom. That was not true. But David didn't know how to prove it. It's Ziba's word against Mephibosheth's word. What are you going to do? You're a king. You've got a, a thousand decisions to make today. And I don't know what to, to do. And this is what he did. Why do you speak anymore? I've decided split it 50-50. Now, we might look at that decision and say, that's a bad decision. Ziba, the liar, gets 50%. David had work to do. <gasps> I cannot be paralyzed. I cannot be paralyzed by indecision. I'll tell you, so many people are paralyzed by indecision. Since we don't know the best thing to do, we don't do anything, we, which is something I'll tell you, as a pastor, I retreated to this over and over. I said, God, at least count it as a C-plus effort, please. <laughs> like, I don't know whether this structure for pastoral care or this um, hire in the nursery or this. I just So many things are not in the Bible. Most things you have to do are not in the Bible, right? Little decisions from day to day you have to make. And just take heart. He will instruct you. He'll guide you. I, I wrote to a man the other day who's just tormented about whether to leave his apartment and go to another apartment. And I said, look, here's my counsel. I know the will of God for you. It's in 
1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4. This is the will of God for you, your holiness, your sanctification. So I said, you pursue holiness and do whatever you want to do with, with, as far as where you live. It was very freeing to him. And I think that's what God wants you to do. I'm going to be holy. God, make me holy. I don't want to be merely selfish. I don't want to use all kinds of worldly criteria. I want to honor you. And I still don't know what to do. I'm going to make a choice. And once you've made it, this is where the gospel comes in. Isn't it glorious that suppose you made a decision that was contaminated by selfishness. You didn't see it, but it was. And it was not the best decision. Now what do you do? You trust the cross. <laughs> like we have to have forgiveness every day. Okay. Number three. Fighting the fear of not having enough money. Will, will I outlive my pension? Will I outlive my 401k? Will, how much should I give to the kids? What should my will look like? Will I have enough? I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I think this is just about the most important verse in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, there are several competing for my affection on this regard. He who did not spare his own son, that's God, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? That means that because of God's doing the hardest thing in the universe, namely giving his son to be tortured and killed, if he does that for you, what would he not do for you? That's the logic. And he states it, he'll do everything for you. He will give us all things. Now, a prosperity preacher would say that that's promise of health, wealth, and prosperity. But the problem with that is five, three verses later, it says, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. We are being killed all day long. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Paul, you just said he will give you all things because he loves you that much. And now you're saying Christians get killed. And in getting killed, they're more than conquerors. Paul says, yes. So I take all things here to mean everything you need to glorify God and bless people. It's not everything you can imagine. Like, I want health. I want to be done with this broken arm. I want to be done with this arthritis. I want to be done with this macular degeneration. I want to be healed. And, and you, you don't get healed. You're going to die before you get healed. And, and that promise is true. You will have what you need in order to honor him and bless people. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I believe that. If you don't get it, you don't need it. That's a sweet promise. Great way to live. Just keep going. Number four. Fighting the fear of being alone. You lose your spouse or you've been single all your life. Single's been fine. Singleness is not looking as great. When all my friends are outliving me, I mean, dying before I do, I'm outliving all my friends. And you start to wonder, is anybody going to remember me? Behold, I am with you. This little word always here is just as important as to the end of the age. In fact, it's more important, isn't it? It's one thing to say he'll be with us to the end of the age. It's another for him to say every minute of your life. John Payton was a missionary to what's now the New Hebrides. He was driven up into a tree as 1,300 vicious Aboriginal natives were trying to kill him and they were going underneath. And in the tree, he laid hold on all authority in heaven and earth is mine. I'll be with you always. And here's what he wrote later. 
because he survived. Without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. In his words, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, became to me so real that it would not have startled me to behold him as Stephen did, gazing down upon the scene. I felt his supporting power. It is the sober truth, and it comes back to me sweetly after 20 years that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smiles of my dear blessed Lord Jesus in those dread moments when musket and club and spear was being leveled at my life. Oh, the bliss of living and enduring as seeing him who is invisible. He, he will be there for you. Now, I, I don't want to create the impression that you should discount human people in your life. God made us a church. You shouldn't have to live by yourself with nobody caring for you. That would be a failure of the community of Christians, would be. And we, we should work at that. Senior surgeons is a little part of that, but there are many other dimensions. So I exhort you, and this may be the most important thing to say as far as how can I do things so that there might be a few people who remember me and will help me in my last hours. While you can, be that for others. While you can, look around and see who's alone. And I think it will always come back to you. It'll come back to you. If you care for other people, then when you can no longer do that, a lot of hearts will be leaning your way. I'm skipping over some texts just because there's some, I want to get through these. And you can find texts on your own. Number five, fighting the fear of being useless. I think a man, and so I think of men here. Ralph Winter said, men don't die of old age in America, they die of retirement. <laughs> Which means men, built into men's lives is the need to be productive. Uh, I'm sure that's true of women in different ways, but I'm thinking of the man right now. A man who loses any sense of productivity, usefulness, accomplishment, is running the risk of losing his entire identity and reason for being. So I preached in 1992, I think it was, when the Olympics were happening in the summer on Olympic spirituality, <laughs> comparing Paul's language of running and fighting and boxing and wrestling. And I was, you know, looking out on these people out there, a lot of them old and a lot of them young, and saying, come on, let's fight against sin, this unrighteousness. Let's be valiant for Jesus. Let's be Olympic spiritual people. And and, and next thing I knew, the next day, it, ca it came back to me, Elsie Viren was in the hospital. and dying. And I ask, how does Elsie do that? Come on! I scare you, sorry. <laughs> Let's fight! And here's Elsie. She's, what, 90 plus dying. How does, and I saw, I wrote a star article. Remember the star? I wrote a star article. How shall Elsie run? That was the name of the article. You can go find it on Desiring God. How shall Elsie run? What's her marathon look like right now? Right now. And I, this is the verse. This is the key verse right here. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Yes, she was. Served this church faithfully for 62 years. And the time of my departure has come. Yes, it, it was. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Okay, we got a fight. That's Olympic. We got a race. That's Olympic. But here's the interpretation. I have kept the faith. That she can do. And that's the meaning of the other two. That's the meaning of the other two. 
So if I go visit her and she hears, hey, Pastor, I heard you preached about Olympic spirituality. <laughs> Are you kidding me? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and the answer is, believe. Believe him. Trust him. Rest in him. Don't let Satan win this battle to destroy your faith. Uselessness. Is it, is it not amazing that Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, we know that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whatever good. So picture the smallest, most hidden good deed you can do this afternoon. Just some simple good. And nobody knows. And this text says God wrote it down. I mean, he doesn't need to write it down. He doesn't forget anything. But at the last day, you will receive some reward. I don't know the nature of those rewards entirely. Some way your future for eternity will be different and better because of that. That's useful. I mean, you're useful. The smallest thing is eternally significant. That's amazing. That really is in the Bible. Amen. Or here's, here's Philippians. Um, it is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. All right, so now here's somebody. And the only thing in front of them now is death. And you're, you're telling me, Pastor, that there's usefulness in the next three days before I die? There's usefulness? I've got a tube I mean, they wouldn't be saying, I got a tube down my throat. And the answer is, Paul said that his aim was that Christ be magnified by death. There is a way over the next three days for you to die that magnifies Jesus. Or not. And here's the answer. Die like that. Die like death is gain. Now that takes huge faith. And it takes some presence of mind which you may not have. We'll get to that in a minute. That lacking presence of mind. Do you remember Patty Larson? Patty and Glenn. Patty was in her mid-40s. Got cancer. Has four kids. Married to Glenn. She died, and before she died, she made a video for us. We showed it on a Wednesday night. She had on a bandana because her head was hairless, and she spoke to us for about eight minutes on this video and exhorted us to hold the faith. Mighty woman. But her last half hour was horrible. I mean, when you throw up in the last 30 minutes of your life, you're not singing you're not praising. So I preached this funeral. It might have been one of the biggest funerals we ever had. That, that room was packed. And a lot of people wondered, what is he going to say? A mother of four didn't just die. She died horribly. And I remember what I said. I was looking right at one skeptical psychologist in the balcony. I knew what he was thinking because we were kind of friends. And I said, the most significant, useful, glorious thing that Patty accomplished in the last hours of her life was she did not curse God. Period. She couldn't do any praising, but she could have spit out some real ugly stuff if she had felt like it. And she didn't. You do what you can do, right? Yeah. 
Number six, fighting the fear of affliction. Now here I have in mind just, just about everything you can imagine. But I want especially to point out something really precious. And it isn't this, though this is precious. So when you're, when you're just as fit as you are now, say, which, which I mean, you're all able to get here. That's pretty fit. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So your mindset with regard to suffering and affliction and pain is it's doing something good in me and for me and through me. It's making me a kind of person. That's what that text teaches. Okay. What about when the hour of death arrives and that doesn't make sense anymore? Meaning, I'm not going to be alive to show anybody my character tomorrow. I'm going to be dead at six o'clock. It's now noon. What's the point of my suffering in the next six hours, Pastor John? What's the point of the affliction? All the arguments I've heard you give for all these years of how suffering can be turned for good. Not seeing it now for the next six hours. Because I'll be gone. Now this text right here, to me, is very precious at that very point. Let me read it to you and see if you see what I see. We do not lose heart. That's what I want for you right now. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self, our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary. And by that he means a lifetime, a lifetime of affliction. This light momentary affliction is preparing. And I put the Greek here, only a tiny handful of you know Greek. I see one or two. Katergodzitai. You do a word study on that word translated preparing. It means produce or bring about or prepare. So this affliction is preparing, bringing about, producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So my answer, I'm here now at the hospital bedside or maybe in hospice. And they know that their time is one day maybe at the most. And they say, Pastor it hurts. It hurts. What's the point? And my answer is going to be, as God gives you the grace to endure to the end without cursing him, resting in him as much as you can, these next 20 hours are going to make a massive, precious difference in the weight of the glory you experience on the other side. They are not pointless. I really believe that. They're not pointless. They won't make your character here shine because you're going to be gone. There'll be no character to shine. But as soon as you cross that line, in some way, from now to eternity, God's going to show you why those 20 hours were what they were and what it did for you. That's good news. I tell you, I... I'm glad God is a healing God. I pray for my wife's healing. She broke her arm last week. I pray for your healing. I pray for Tom's healing. I pray for healing almost every day for people. And I believe he does it. And I rejoice when he does it. I believe, I believe that. But that's not the gospel because you're going to die anyway. <laughs> and most People with horrible things to deal with don't get healed. There was a man who lived in the tower across the street. His name was Robert. And he had a horrible purple. One of these, there's a name for it, I'm sure. Just half his face was gnarled and purple. Looked like a monster, really. 
He only went out very early in the morning. That's why I jog and I see him and, and late, late at night. And I thought, that, that man can't go out in public. Kids would scream if they saw him. They'd run away. And he lives with this. What's the gospel for this man? What's the gospel for this man? He has lived all his life in a way that you can't look at him without cringing. I've got gospel. So I'm jogging one morning. This is right over there where the apartments are now. It used to be a Dairy Queen over there. You might remember the Dairy Queen. <laughs> and, and, and I just stop. I just stop. I say, hi, my name's John. He was utterly startled. Nobody talks to this man, probably. I said, I'm, I'm pastor of the church down the street there. What's your name? Robert. Robert, um, I know life is hard for you because of your face. I just, you know, cut to the chase. There's no point in kind of, let's, you know, let's kind of have some small talk here about this man. I know life is hard for you. But I've got the best news in the world for you. you. You may know it already that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world to die for our sins and to forgive us for all our sins, to take us into his family and someday give every one of us a new body with a magnificent face. And we had a little conversation and I let him go. I don't think I ever saw him again. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm just unashamed that I've got good news everywhere in those horrible situations. You give me any horrible situation, I've got good news. I do. All right, number seven, fighting the fear of dementia. Now, this is tough because, and I'm thinking memory loss, right? You go into the doctor and they make you draw a clock and then remember window, butterfly, and door. And repeat it back. Those, I'm just my, my, and then they take your blood pressure, which doesn't make any sense at all. It's just, I'm sitting there. I don't want to fail this test. I, I can still make it. Don't take away my driver's license. I, my memory is not, not nearly what it used to be. It's, and especially it's the short term. You, you tell me your phone number. I can't remember the first number. And you get to the last number. So it's pretty bleak and, and it's not going to get better. What's, what does the Bible have to say about that? And I don't know of any verses that directly address this. You might wonder, what are these verses for? <laughs> so let me, let me try, because I, I think this is just huge for us. Uh, none of us wants to cease to be ourselves. And if you lose your memory, you're not yourself anymore. If you can't remember anything, you're a different person. You, you have nothing to draw on. And my dad went there. He always remembered me. I was so thankful. But basically, he was in another world. And it was a glorious evangelistic world. And he was in a crusade and he was preaching somewhere. <laughs> And I just played along and we had a great time in his, in his imaginary world. It was, it was wonderful, sad and wonderful. So here's 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, that means die and bury. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in, uh, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So just, let's just ponder those three words. When your body dies and, and is sown in the ground like a seed, it's three things. It's perishable, it's dishonorable, and it's weak. And just, just spin those out and apply them to a situation Perishable is like food. It's like it's food that rots, right? This is a perishable thing. You have to put in the fridge, and it can't last there very long. It's perishable, and that's that's our bodies. They they rot. They they decay. They waste away. That's the way the sin has done us, and God is going to remove that dimension of sin and its effects at the resurrection. Secondly, 
It's sown in dishonor. Right, right now, I'm 77, but here I am. I've got energy. I'm talking to you. I feel good. I'm driving a car. I can dress myself. I can still tie a knot. I, I'm, I'm, I think most people look at me now and think like, that's a dishonorable reality up there. But, but when I, I, I save pictures. You may think I'm macabre in this regard. I save pictures of my dad dead because I was there as he died. He died, and I took three or four pictures of him as a dead dad. I have them on the phone. I look just like that when I get up in the morning. (laughs) I try to comb my hair. There's some blood flowing. I'm going to die, and it's not going to be pretty. I I visited my grandfather. He probably weighed 85 pounds. He had a diaper on. He was curled up in fetal position. And we thought he was gone and, and couldn't hear anything. And my dad got over and said, got over and, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Daddy. Like that. Prayed about a minute. And when he was done, that corpse said, Amen. <laughs> But, but he looked awful, <laughs> just awful, dishonorable, and, and weak. And, and the opposite is going to be raised imperishable, we're going to be raised in glory, we're going to be raised in power. You're going to be, you're, all you ladies are going to be absolutely gorgeous, just gorgeous. And you men, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the ideal man is. So I think the implication is that perishability, that dishonor, and that weakness relates to the mind as well as the body. And that's the way I'm relating it to dementia. As the body wears out, the mind wears out, wears out different degrees. And we've all known people who are sharp as a tack till they're 101 and, and others who there's one who sits on the left side in there and she's 60 and uncommunicative with her mental condition. And was one time I did their wedding. She was magnificent bride. Now she can't communicate. Okay, so I, I think we need to trust him for that, um, which relates to this, doesn't it? I think I have two more, and then we'll be done. Fighting the fear of failing faith, meaning, God, am I going to make it? I am so embattled. Doubts come. I have horrible thoughts. I don't think she would mind. She's in heaven now, so. But Ruth Fast, raise your hand if you remember Ruth Fast. Okay, 20 of you. One of the most magnificent ladies of this church when I came here, prayer warrior. Everybody would have said most godly woman in the church, probably. So I'm with her as she's dying in the hospital. Her tongue was black like a cinder. And I walked into the room and she she was trembling and she took my hand. She said, Pastor John, they come and they dance around my bed. They dance around in my bed and they take their clothes off. She saying stuff, and it's horrible. It's just so unlike her. It's just totally unlike her, and she's being harassed by the devil. An old godly saint being harassed by the devil as she dies. Well, that sure taught me something as a young pastor, that the battle is never over. I used to think that as you live a faithful and godly life, you get more and more safe from the evil one. That's not true. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Hold on to that. 
you saved me. You save me every day and you will save me tomorrow and bring me home. Or this is probably even more favorite to me than that one. Not that I have already obtained this perfection or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. So I'm pressing on because Christ Jesus made me his own. So we'll hand, we'll hand motion here. So here I am pressing on. And he's out there. And I want you, Jesus. I want to make it through death as a believer and not commit apostasy and throw you away. I want you and I want to make it. I'm reaching out for you. And he reminds me, hey, the only reason you're reaching out for me is because I've got you. <laughs> Isn't that what that says? To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The only reason you want Jesus is because he took you. He got you. He laid hold on you. The only reason you reach forward to heaven is because he's got you. You wouldn't otherwise. Or here's 1 Corinthians 1, 8. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. Implication, he keeps whom he calls. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. The golden chain will not be broken. If you're called, you will be kept. <laughs> now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you with great joy before the presence of his glory. To him be glory and majesty and power and dominion forever and ever. That's one of the greatest doxologies in, in the Bible. And it's all built on he keeps us. So haven't you fallen in love like I with that new song? He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I just love it. I love it. One more. Fighting the fear of death. So a little, little glimpse. I sleep on my side. Can't sleep on my back. I lie there on my back saying, oh, this feels so good. I wish I could go to sleep like this. I never do, ever, ever. So I got to choose a side. Whichever side I choose, roll over. I also can't do like this because it cuts off the circulation. I have to have a certain position like this. <laughs> For some reason, that doesn't cut off circulation. Any of these cut off circulation. So I'm like this. And then I say, John Piper, this is the Lord speaking now, John. I did not destiny you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, so that whether you wake or sleep, you will live with him. Go to bed. Go to sleep. Every night I say that. Noel and I have had to choose. We, we've bought plots over at Hillside to be buried over there near our granddaughter. And so we're, we're not going back to South Carolina. We're here to die. It's so over there, up on the hill. We've got our plot. And they made us, and we're, we've chosen some stones, and we've chosen Bible verses for our stone. And that's my Bible verse. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10. It's just, it's just, I mean, for some reason for me to have God look me in the eye and say, I didn't destine you for wrath. It's not going to happen. You're going to die tonight at 3 o'clock? Not a problem. Because my son died for you so that whether you wake or sleep, now I know that means in the context whether you're alive when the second coming happens or dead when the second coming happens. But either way, it works. <laughs> whether you're awake or asleep, you're going to be alive with me. And that's, I need that. I got to. I can't go to bed. I can't go to sleep thinking, what if I die? What if I die? And he says, not a problem. We, we got that covered. We, we took care of that. So I end on what I said was the most important verse in the Bible. 
or one of them. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously fulfill every one of these promises we've looked at? That's the logic. So if, if you get in an argument with the devil or an unbeliever in your housing complex and, and they say, yeah, but how can you be sure that all these promises are going to come through? Your answers, one of your answers is going to be, God said in his word that since he gave his son for me, which is the hardest thing for him to do, he'll do the easy thing, which is fulfill all these promises and see what they do with that. I know what the devil do. He runs. He runs. He cannot fight the blood of Jesus. So this is the last slide. Therefore, trust Christ. That's, that's, the, that's the issue in this room right now. Do you trust Christ and his purchase of all these promises? Then do you trust his word? Trust his promises of ever arriving future grace. He'll always be there. Be glad in him. Be freed by this gladness for service, not self. And glorify him by your gladness in him and your service to others. And let's pray for each other. Uh, Got to help each other die well. Right? And live well till then. Let's pray. Father, we love Christ. We love what you did for us when he died and bore our sins, all of them. When he rose from the dead and secured for us this forgiveness, this justification, all these promises bought by the infinitely valuable blood of Jesus, we praise you, Father. We love you, Jesus. And we just ask now for great faith. I ask that faith would be given in this room for all these promises and that we would walk in joy and we'd walk in freedom to serve others and not just think about ourselves and that you would get great glory from our remaining days and our death. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.